to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. What is up, Better Golf Pod Nation? I am Spencer Aguirre, and I'm joined here once again by my trusted co-host, Nick Brettwish. Nick, first week back for you in the golf world after crushing NFL all year. How was it merging the two sports into one week? It was it was solid. It was a lot of work. Um, NFL was kind of a, a little bit of a slower week because so many teams obviously were resting stars and whatnot. And you didn't really have a good I don't know the word for it. Like it was hard to handicap a lot of teams. So I kind of just focused on the games that I think would be competitive. Tom Brady, those and my Tampa stacks went off. Matt Stafford, Higby and Cup. That was a big one as well. But Stafford kind of just laid an egg. I can go on and on about Sean McVay in that game. They go up 14 nothing, maybe even 17 nothing, doing everything they want through the air. Get the ball with like two minutes and 15 seconds left in the first half without giving up a score. And all they do is just run the ball. So they had no intention of scoring the last two and a half minutes of that half and then come in and go just start running the ball as well. So they pretty much just gave away two drives and there you go. Came down to one drive and they lose the game. So Sean McVay, you did it to yourself. And thank you for getting me on that rant though, Spencer, but all in all golf was a lot of fun. Patrick Cantley was number one in my model did finish in the top five. Didn't get that out where like I was hoping for, but you know, what are you going to do when Cam Smith and John Rahm just absolutely run away with it? And I'm, I know we're going to talk about Cam Smith because he was number two in my model, I believe, and we both loved him. Somehow didn't pull the trigger on it outright, though. Yeah, one of the things I'm proud of with this show is that we don't just make picks and you never hear of them again after the tournament ends. We recap everything of what transpired uh, before moving on to what is in front of us. And it's something that I love that we both do. I think the transparency portion of the program is even more important than the actual pick-making nature in a lot of ways. Uh, So I'll start us off this week. The Tournament of Champions was a good start to the year for me. Uh, That Cameron Smith conversation is the one I want to have once we both get done recapping the process. But plus 5.15 units for a 32.57% ROI. Five and one on the in-tournament betting front. I love the model that I run for those wagers. I I think I have found a great balance of the pre-tournament data and in-tournament stats. I swept all three fades of Victor Hovland. Those were relatively easy wins. A top five Cam Smith ticket at plus 275. Top 10 Leishman at plus 165. Those were the highlights. Bad reads on DeChambeau and Speed. That will be the basis of some of that conversation. Uh, But I lost both of those head-to-heads they were in, as well as the outright tickets I punched on them. I'm fine with the Phil Mickelson top 20 plus 200 call. I would do it again if I could, but all in all, I'm never going to complain about a five unit start to the year. How did things go for you overall, man, outside from the Cameron Smith thing? Well, I I have to thank you for the Hovland fades because those damn near kept me afloat. I was minus 0.32 units on the week. So pretty much damn near a break even week for me to sweat it out. But the things that really turned my week is Sam Burns losing the top 10 there on Sunday. I was pretty heavy on him and then evr i mean it was my bomb of the week i think it was plus 600 to finish top 10 kind of was sitting there all week and then just didn't really have get it done and then kevin not as well if i get one of those i have an excellent week obviously if you get an outright it'd be an excellent week as well but yeah props to you for getting me on the hovland fade with sam burns and patrick cantley i put a, a good amount on those two and that really kept me about even Yeah, we both made a bit of a mess from start to finish on Cameron Smith. I stand by a general rule of thumb that you never want to start chasing the wrong end of a number. I think that's where things get dangerous, but the math continued to show fine for me, even when it moved from 28 to one to 22 to one. 
You said he was second in your model. Um, when I ran it for upside, he was fourth in mine. And that's where I'm a little frustrated with how I handled the situation from my outright card. I've expressed this point on the podcast before that I don't run my numbers with any Vegas influence into the mix. I try to pinpoint what I have as proper and, and see where the incongruities lie from there. Uh, but I do run things three ways, which I'm not sure I've ever fully discussed before. Two of them make logical sense. The third is more random and less predictive, but something I have found a ton of success doing. So the first way is from an upside sense, and that's always going to be the probably the most important way since we need ceiling to be as high as it can be on an outright. The second is more basic from an overall standpoint. I need one of those to be profitable in the outright market. When both of those are, it's even better, but I'm not necessarily going to discount a wager on either front. It's more worrisome when the overall turns negative on upside than the other way around. But the third way, and I realize it's less predictive and a really weird answer I'm about to give, but I do run some of my numbers against public exposure, including something random like DFS exposure, along with the more standard casino exposure. I have found that a positive total in those two mixed with a positive total in the other two areas has been far more predictive in finding outrights uh, for me than any other way that I've run a model. So when I look at the players that I attacked last week, Spieth was always going to be stuck for me. I couldn't even get him to be negative in the exposure portion of the model. And that was with 8% of DK tickets landing on him. But the shamble is the discouraging one. And it stymied adding anything to the card when I took him at 14 to 1. Bryson was overall negative. He was negative in all iterations of exposure. Uh, but he was number one upside climber for me. That meant a lot when I was thinking that 30 under par is going to have to win this. I really liked his potential. But... The problem is Cam was the second best upside climber I had. He was neutral from an overall sense when he dropped to 22 to one. He was still a really good positive value in the upside portion of my numbers. So, you know, I'm never going to overexpose the card once that happens. All the bullets had been fired once Bryson was bet. And then I kind of trapped myself. Uh, I don't know if that answer made as much logical sense as I was hoping it would, but Nonetheless, it was a frustrating miss for me. Um, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add to that, Nick, before we move on. No, I mean, for me, just not betting that is just kind of my principle of I was not going to chase the the least valuable number in the market. I, I really wanted Cam Smith. I didn't pull the trigger when I saw 30 to one. I didn't do it when it was 28 to one at that point when I was chasing 22 and 21 to one. I just couldn't do it. It, it worked out, you know, it worked out to be a, a bad choice for me, but you know, there are so many golf tournaments. I'm sure that this will kind of bounce back in our favor here shortly. Exactly. Hindsight's always 2020. If Bryson would have won for me or can't lay for you, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. We'd be partying in Vegas. We'd be having a good time. I mean, that's, that's the thing with it. And we can't live by one result here. It's a long season. We're trying to minimize these errors so they don't compound over year and beyond that. Uh, but you know, as a, collective unit of a team here between us. We were pretty much up five units when you combine our production. That's the most important factor for the week. Uh, so with that idea of continuing our positive trajectory in mind, let's move on to the Sony Open. YLI Country Club, 7,044 yards, par 70 Bermuda Greens. Kevin Nall won last year at 21 under. Cameron Smith in 2020 at 11 under. Matt Kuchar in 2019, 22 under. Patton Kazire, 2018-17 under, and Justin Thomas getting hot only like he can and taking home the title by seven shots over your boy Justin Rose in 2017 at 27 under. That's an interesting group of players. Two accuracy guys in non-coucher, more erratic golfers in Smith, Kazire, and Thomas. What sticks out to you when you see those names? What did you notice about the course? And what stats are you incorporating into your model? 
they're all great iron players. So approach is going to be very big. And I think for me, off the tee is something I'm valuing a ton this week. And putting's obviously a big thing as well. Justin Thomas got very hot with that putter that year that he won. And he actually won in uh, in Kapalua the week before, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He did the Hawaii yeah. back-to-back. So good shout out to Justin Thomas in 2017. Good for him. But yeah, approach, just ball striking in general, being accurate. This is more of an accuracy type of golf course that I'm handicapping. And that's pretty much it. And I also want guys that can get hot with the putter because if it's going to be a birdie fest, likely to be around minus 20 as you saw all the number or heard all the numbers that spencer just talked about it's probably going to be another birdie fest this week but i think it'll be a lot more tactical golf and i think i'm gonna really enjoy watching that a little bit more than i did kapalua yeah i agree with that second part of that and there were a few things i saw statistically that we should be able to use in our research strokes gain off the tee distance and accuracy strokes gain putting I haven't heard a lot of people talk about the strokes gain off the tee part of it. I I like where Nick's mind's at there. I think that that's something that's going to be very critical this week. Uh, those are the more relevant areas here than your typical tour stop when it of what becomes critical. Approach play and strokes gain around the green have been less impactful, although approach play is always going to be numerically the most important trait. It's just less pertinent here. Uh, we can get into the ranges of where I found there to be a, a way that we can run a model, but... There are 12 par fours in general, 10 of them stretch between 400 to 500 yards, which is why we get 12.8% more second shots that come within 125 to 200 yards in an average week. That's the range that I would be honing in on with my research. Um, And we start trying to figure out all of what that means and how to use it. There's been a heavy correlation with the PGA Tours definition of ball striking. That is a combination of distance and accuracy, as Nick was mentioning, mixed with GIR percentage. Wind is the one true defense of the property. We have seen as much as a three-shot difference per day in calm versus windy conditions. And the last thing worth noting was that the course history at YLI is the second most impactful that we get of any course on tour. As you might expect, the only one more critical to success has been Augusta. That had me start with a 60-30-10 split with stats holding the brunt of that number. The 30% was course history. And I did decide to add 10% back to current form. I think you could make a strong case that the current form is irrelevant for most of these players, but there was a noticeable difference in my model that seemed to positively push current form into the fray. For starters, it gives a slight boost to anyone that played last week. That is in an end game scenario if you didn't, but eight of the past 10 winners teed it up at the tournament of champions. One could argue that is because these are your better players. Uh, That's not going to take a rocket scientist to figure that out, but I found there to be too many irregularities without something being added. You could certainly go to 5% and subdue it a little bit further, but I do like adding it back marginally. When it comes to stats, I started with 25% ball striking. I took an even split of distance and accuracy. I realize accuracy is more pertinent to finding success at YLI, uh, but golfers can easily club down off the tee. That is what Thomas and Kazire did. It was another scenario where pushing it too far towards accuracy seemed to do a disservice to the model. Maybe you could look at a stat like fairways gained and increase the weight that way, but I still don't love it because there are so many courses where some of your bombers nosedive their totals throughout the year. I then took the average of that total driving number, weighted in with GIR percentage. GIR percentage is going to be the heavier weight of those two things that were thrown in. I think just GIR percentage is really crucial this week to find success. I did 10% on weight of proximity at YLI from the notable ranges that I mentioned before. Uh, 67.6% of irons are going to come from 125 to 200 yards. I am marginally lower on straight approach play this week than most in the industry, but there are roundabout ways, in my opinion, to get unique. The GIR percentage is one, breaking it down into the specific distance is another. 17.5% on easy scoring courses under 7,200 yards. 
pretty straightforward. Don't think that that needs much explanation there. 20% uh, mixture of strokes gain total on Bermuda and strokes gain putting on Bermuda. That is my way of heavily looking into Bermuda as a whole and gradually inserting putting into the mix. I have 17.5% on a weighted par four category. Um, that's going to take par four average. It's also going to take the 400 to 500 yard mix. And then I wrapped it up with 10% on birdie or better percentage. That's just an extension of scoring to go along with how golfers perform at easy courses that are shorter. Uh, we added in a few different wrinkles to the show last week that I really liked. One was the extension of outright discussions past just the final card, which funny enough led to the Cameron Smith becoming 60% of that talk. But the other was the sharing of the top five players in each of our models. I think that's something we should continue doing because it adds more insight and alternative routes for everyone to consider. But would you mind sharing your top five again with us this week? Top five. No surprise here. Cameron Smith's going to be number one probably for everybody. I mean, he's, what, eight and a half to win this tournament. It has Web. won here prior. Web. Yeah, Webb. Webb Simpson is number two for me. It makes me want to throw up. <laughs> Somehow I'm going to fade him in DFS just because I have to on principle. But maybe I'll get some exposure on the betting card once Spencer talks me into it here <laughs> in a couple minutes. Number three, Sanjay M. Number four, Kevin Na. And number five, Mark Leishman. So guys, two guys I really don't like just personally is Webb Simpson and Mark Leishman. But it is hard to argue that they are a great course fit here this weekend. Yeah, my model yielded a top five of Webb Simpson. Surprise, surprise there. Corey Connor second, Cameron Smith third, Sanjay M. fourth, and Hideki Matsuyama fifth. When running it for upside, I kind of got a complete turnaround of it. Uh, it featured Webb number one, Answer number two, Connors three, Sungjae four, and Henley five. Any thoughts on the differences we had? Anyone that I mentioned that you completely disliked this week? No, I mean, I really wanted to find a way to get Corey Connors in my top five. It just didn't happen. He's in the top 10 every single time. And then uh, Matsuyama is actually 11th for me. So if you don't mind, just kind of describing your lean on Matsuyama because that's always a guy that I want to play and I always butcher his name I say Hideki I guess it's Hideki but either way so my guy Hideki I want to bet him somehow but he just didn't show up as a value to me Hideki's a, a an interesting case of what to do with this week because when we look at his price tag and I don't want to make this too centric on on DraftKings and DFS contests but yeah, do, do whatever you want it's our show what <laughs> one of the things with it is at ten thousand six hundred dollars he loses some of his upside because this is a birdie making course. I don't know if he can necessarily make enough putts for that price tag to yep. warrant it. That would be my biggest concern with him. But when we look at his ownership, he's also going to be the lowest owned guy there. Um, you know, fifth overall, when I do run it for upside, he moves down to eighth. That's the negative trajectory that I'm usually not wanting to find in a lot of these things. That means he's a better cash game play. He's a better head to head target potentially. You know, I mean, maybe you could make an argument if you want to bet him as a top 10, but uh, I just like him at an easy courses under 7,200 yards. He's fifth for me there. He doesn't burn the model in any way. He's a, you know, he's a birdie maker in general, maybe not a birdie maker if it's a course is going to be 20 something under par and just the ball striking anytime that ball striking is going to be something that I look at. Hideki is maybe the best ball striker I've ever seen before. If you could just get some putts to drop for him, like Hideki would win so many more tournaments. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. The putter, I guess, when I really look at my numbers here, my Excel columns, it's the putting that's really weighing them down for me. Yeah, and I haven't decided how much exposure I'm going to have on him. I don't have anything right now in any bets. I haven't decided on a DraftKings situations with it. But I think that's a good segue into the fade portion of the show. As always, feel free to give me an answer in either DFS or a potential head-to-head -head fade spot. 
Who are a few of your overpriced or overvalued golfers on the slate? Oh, well, I'm trying to think here. I haven't really picked out. I mean, Hideki was going to be one of them, but not anymore. What about Kokrak? I don't like Kokrak this week. So he's a guy, he's one of the two that I did write down were Hideki and uh, Jason Kokrak. The thing with Kokrak is, you know, he was the number one putter on tour for about 18 months and you took away the green reading book from him and he bombed so badly at Kapalua. I don't know if that's a fluke situation. I don't know if that's something that we should be worried about, but when you've gone 18 months as the top putter in golf and then all of a sudden you can't buy a putt, you know, like that's not a good recipe. Yeah, that's, I wrote that down too. I don't know if, I think I'm just recent biased because I was so heavy on him last week in DFS and now I'm pissed at him. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's only a one week sample size. So I don't know if I want to go too hard on that, especially when you're kind of not sold on fading him either. But yeah, those were the only two I had. How about yourself? Uh, another thing with Kokrak, he's 69 spots worse off the tee um, over the last 24 rounds. And he's been over a two year sample size in my model. If you're going to lose the off the tee game and if you're going to lose the putting, that's a, a definitely a worrisome combination. And Sold. I'm fading him. There you go. That's all I needed. He's also, I just to keep adding, I guess, to hammering down on this, he's 11 spots worse um, in my model than his DraftKings price. So he's definitely grading out as a, as a fade in that general thing. But when I look at the top of the board, I think pricing is really good this week. The top four golfers on DraftKings would be inside of my top five. I think that makes logical sense for why it's as straightforward as it is. When course history increases, our statistical advantage decreases. A better way to describe that would be that the more question marks you have about a venue and what is needed, the more unique you can get in your research to separate yourself. When you don't have that creativity available, it does start to clutter things up for all involved. I'm still waiting for some head-to-heads to enter the market at some of the books I'm looking at. It unfortunately is going to be something that I have to more so cover in my Rotoballer article this week. I'm looking at Horschel being a dog in a matchup against Seamus Power. That's one of the ones that caught my eye. Uh, the other player I am trying to actively find a fade on would be Eric Van Royen. I think he's overpriced this week in most markets. The one issue is that the betting board seems to be more in tune with my sentiment than his price tag on DraftKings would be concerned. And he's only like 3% owned on DraftKings. So I think everybody has that same viewpoint with him. So I don't know if I'm going to necessarily find a match on on him. It might have to be one of those things where it's an in-tournament fade when it comes to that. Uh, Do you have anything else you want to add to that, Nick, before we move on into the placement markets? I'm curious to hear your thoughts also on Billy Horschel plus 110 over Seamus Power. I assume if nothing else, it will make for a good conversation with how much you love good old Billy boy. No, I, uh, as much as I don't like Billy and I would, one of my friends texted me too. He's like, I will do anything to never watch him set up for a putt the way he just kind of slowly moves his feet in there. It's so damn long, but I love Billy this week. He grades out very, very well for me inside my top 10 and someone that I'm going to have a lot of exposure to across DFS and certainly in the betting market. Same here. He's one of my favorite plays on the board this week, but as we move into the more standard placement card this week with there being a full field, I have five top 40s, two top 10s. How do you want to do it this week? Alternate picks or everything at once? Yeah, let's alternate. Let's go with the top 40. Perfect. Uh, You start us off. All right. My first guy, I know you've heard me talk about him a lot today, but Adam Long on FanDuel is plus 135. I got him priced right around even money, so not a ton of value there, about 35 points of value, but... 
I like him so much because no one's talking about him again. You talked about how important course history is here, and I certainly agree with that. There's so much data to back that up, and I'm not a very high course history guy. The thing I like the most about Adam Long is the form. Sure, there's a big layoff, but this guy is coming off of four top 25 finishes, four straight top 25 finishes, and we talked about how much we both value uh, stroke skinned off the tee. That is something that he can absolutely destroy this week. Plays very well on easier courses. He's an excellent putter on Bermuda surfaces. The only downside with Adam Long is obviously the bunkers can kill him, but if he can avoid those, I think Adam Long is a... I'm betting him a top 40, but I think he could certainly sneak in the top 30, if not top 20, and provide a excellent, unique play in DFS this week. Yeah, he's going to be sub 5% on there. You always have to like that for a guy who has shown some upside in the past. He's eighth overall on Bermuda putting, as you mentioned with that. Uh, my first play this week will be Charles Howell, the third top 40. Uh, that is minus 125 on FanDuel. It's minus 130 on DraftKings. And I'll be the first to admit, I normally don't dip into laying juice on these top 40 wagers. But with Wildlife Country Club having the second best course history predictability rating on tour, I think we can take a few more shots than we typically would on options like this. Howell has played in this tournament 19 times in his career, never missing a cut and coming inside of the top 40, 16 of those appearances. I don't necessarily believe that's the proper way to derive what is a fair value for him on that number. But my model does have him as the fifth choice on the board when running it for just upside. Uh, what do you I mean, I know Howell's another guy that you don't love, but what are your thoughts on Howell this week? No, I mean, how, how can you argue with any of that? He shows up number nine for me in my model. It's a guy that I, uh, I I don't like. You did send me his card, though. I will see what I got here. Yeah, Charles Howell the third. Maybe that's a sign. The card's sitting right in front of me. Kind of looks like Jordan Spieth at this young age a little bit. From yeah, he does. A, I agree with side that. angle in this card. Well, thank you for the card. But yeah, no, I'm all for it. I think, like you said, 16 top 40 finishes here. This is just like, I don't know. It's his home course. This guy just really gets it here. And I think that that'll be plenty safe to get top 40. And I, I'm finally in the juice there. I'll need to get you a card of Billy Horschel. Maybe I can get you some matching sunglasses of Dylan Fratelli and I'll get you oh, the whole God, like ensemble of it. No, don't. <laughs> All right, Nick, move us into our second play that you have. All right, number two in my top 40 market this week is Nick Hardy, a guy from Illinois about 30 minutes from where I live. On FanDuel, he is plus 200. I had him priced right around plus 150, plus 155. Finished 14th here last year. I believe that is his only appearance at the Sony Open. He is great off the tee, really good approach, a good putter. And most of all, you mentioned it earlier, the greens and regulation. That's all this guy does. He's good on Bermuda. I really don't see a downside to him besides, you know, just no pedigree, I guess, right now. But he's still really young, can make a name for himself. I like Nick Hardy, 2-1 to one on the top 40 market. Yeah, the only downside, I guess I would add, which I don't think is downside to it, 115th in my model in driving accuracy. But as I mentioned with it, we've seen guys like Kazire and Thomas be able to club down. I think Hardy is one of the most intriguing plays on the board. I don't have anything on him currently. He was the pretty much either the first or the second guy to miss my card that didn't make it. You might have talked me into Hardy on that. I'll do a little deeper diving there, but I love that call. I think it's really good value on the number you got. Uh, the second player for me is going to be Stuart Sink in the top 40 at plus 115 on FanDuel. That's plus 110 on DraftKings. Or this is a Harbor Town comp course when you look at it that's a course that sink won at in 2021 to qualify for the tournament of champions last week and i thought he showed a ton of positives in that start he gained 2.7 shots to the field off the t plus approach 
And he ended up having his weekend done with his putter, losing 3.9 there. We have seen the American finish 19th to 42nd in each of his past seven starts at the track. And I think his course history alone makes him marginally overpriced as a dog in the top 40 market. Those two specifically, and even the third name I'm going to mention, you're going to keep seeing the same trends. When you put 30% of your weight onto course history, you're going to find these guys that have these this rollover success over and over again. So, um, you know, on a normal week, I would never do it that heavily on it. But with it being the second most important uh, course that you can find it for, and Howell and Sink are guys that are just consistently popping top 40s off. I like it. I'm going to go a little bit lower on the market than I normally would there. And I just think that they're good values where they're at. Uh, what do you have for us third, Nick? Um, All right. The third one and my final top 40 ticket thus far. I don't think I'm going to go that heavy this week. I do have four or five outrights, but I do have a top 10 and top 20 ticket to follow. But Keegan Bradley plus 160 on FanDuel. I didn't price at plus 110. My model loves him this week. Obviously, the, the course history is not really there, but he is great off the tee. Great approach as an elite iron player, especially in those ranges you said from 125 to 200. That is where I want Keegan Bradley. Really good on Bermuda. Again, the thing that could kill him, similar to Adam Long, is the bunkers and the putter. The putter for Keegan Bradley is certainly very scary for me, but if he can put them, you know, if he can call him more cow with this course, just throw darts on the green. I think he's got a great chance of finishing top 40. And he's one of the the few guys that are uh, ranked inside the top 100 on the official world golf rankings this week. I don't think the field is that strong. So I think a guy like Keegan Bradley should be priced closer towards plus 110, plus 120. So to see 40 pounds, points of value on FanDuel at plus 160, I am all aboard that train. Where did Keegan Bradley rank in your model? 14th. He ranks 15th in my model, 6th for upside. Uh, he's the number one weighted proximity player when yep. trying to turn it into just wildlife, as you said, if he can call in Morikawa, the course, there is a lot of upside there. He's a great ball striker. The putting's always going to be what undoes him. But, you know, with that being said, when I ran the numbers of total strokes gain total on Bermuda and then strokes gain putting on Bermuda, which, yes, 75% of that number went to the strokes gain total portion. That's a stat he ranks fourth in. He's 111th in strokes gain total. He only drops to 23rd. I think that's a reason why. You know, I don't know if Keegan Bradley is going to necessarily win the tournament. I heavily considered him in the outright market. I didn't end up getting there, but I think this is the proper way to play him as, as a top 40 wager. Yep, I'm all for it. And then I will run through my last couple top 40s very quickly and we'll move across the board there. I have Hudson Swafford plus 180 on DraftKings. That's plus 165 on FanDuel. The price is accurate when I run it from an overall rank sense, but the value comes through when looking for safety, something we need when targeting top 40 plays. Swafford is the largest model mover in that regard. And as I keep mentioning, it's one of those weeks where I'm just going to keep trusting historical trends of how someone has performed at the property. Five top 25s and eight tries. I know the break cooled everybody off, but he had gained with his irons in eight of nine starts and off the tee in 10 of 13. And then I'm going to provide two bombs for you guys out there. The first one, which I was going to give the floor to Nick to handle this. Uh, this is his guy legitimately. Chan Kim plus 400 on FanDuel. That is plus 180 on DraftKings. 220 point difference on Chan Kim between the two markets. There are certainly some issues with Kim's prospects for how he sets up for a course like Wileye. But the upside is there to take on this generous price, in my opinion. My model has limited data on him, but he ranks third in GIR percentage and is also inside the top 35 of this field when it comes to proximity between 125 to 175 yards. And then the second bomb I'm going to mention is Max McGreevy plus 320 FanDuel. He is plus 230 on DraftKings. 
The 26-year-old is coming over from the Corn Ferry Tour, but uh, two top 19 finishes in a row for him. Limited sample size for him, also of information. But McGreevy has shown to have great proximity numbers from the zones needed to find success this week and also grades 19th in strokes gain putting on Bermuda. I know you're going to love Chan Kim. I don't really need to ask you on that one, but thoughts on Max McGreevy? I like Max McGreevy a lot. Like you said, he lights up the uh, the proximity ranges here. He is 23rd on my model. And for especially in DFS, a guy at that price. Yeah, I, I, I like him a lot. It's someone I wasn't anticipating I was going to play. I didn't put him on my card because I knew he was likely to be on yours when we talked this morning. So I'm all for it. I love it. Yeah, of the Corn Ferry guys, like we'll remove Mito Pereira from the equation. Uh, McGreevy, Chad Ramey, Hayden Buckley. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. Those three in particular are three of the guys that my model seems to think are going to be huge on tour. A guy like Steven Yeager, uh, the market always loves him. Anytime I was going to ask you about Steven Yeager, the German too, the German hammer. Yeah, he, I don't, my model never really likes him, but when you look at these offshore books, he's always one of the biggest movers in the market. Like uh, one of the books I respect a lot, he's all the way down to about 70 to one this week. And I don't know. I mean, he's a corn fairy winner. That's what he has going for him. And he has such limited data in my model. It's kind of tough to predict or anticipate where he's going to go. But I would say that that is meaningful information. A lot of times it's fluff, but that seems to be something that I would respect. Yeah, I'm all for it. I'll just play him simply because he's German. So I'm in. <laughs> well, that's always a good reason with that. But yeah, uh, Martin Keimer's done. So I need a new German guy to root for. So <laughs> Steven Yeager, you're up, buddy. We'll get you on the show soon, too. You know, we got to get somebody on the show at this point. I, I'm, <laughs> I've given up on Shana's power. That's why I'm trying to fade him with Billy Horschel at this point. Maybe that'll make him listen. Oh, that's a lock. Yeah. What book was that on too? The Horschel one. That number was on bet online. Uh, but if you look at the legal books, I forget which one it was. I believe he was plus a hundred on either FanDuel or DraftKings. If you don't have uh, the number on bet online with it, but I, I'm fine with any plus number on it. I think he should be the favorite. Roger that. I agree. All right, so I don't have anything in the top 30 or the top 20. I don't believe you do either. I do have one top 20, and it's also my top 10 play. I'm going back to Abraham Answer this week. Uh, top 10 is plus 310 on FanDuel, and top 20 is plus 145. We talked about him a little bit last week, and you said the same thing. You're waiting another week to if you to get exposure to Answer, so I love him on this course. Pretty much checks every single box that I'm looking for. As safe as they come, I also will have an outright ticket on him. Yeah, I, I like answer also. He is second in my model, as I mentioned earlier in the show, when running it for upside. You're not looking as much as course history either. So, I mean, that's going to be a big benefit for him there. I'm going to round it out with two top 10 plays. As always, I re would recommend these at books that pay ties in full if you have access to that. If you don't, you can still take a shot on FanDuel. But I'm not a fan of losing that feature and having to deal with splits between a million players. But the first is Siwoo Kim at plus 450 to come top 10. Uh, that's going to be uh, plus 450 on a site like FanDuel and a site like Bovada. The Bovada route is the way you want to go there to gain access to the ties. I have Kim as one of the 10 best outright potentials on this slate this week, and he has shown the upside here in the past with a fourth in 2016. The second is Chris Kirk at plus 550 uh, on Bovada. It is plus 600 on FanDuel. Once again, I prefer the Bovada number if that's what you can get access to, but Kirk has been volatile at this venue, posting four top tens to go along with four missed cuts over his last nine showings at the track. That might be a problem when looking at playability on DraftKings, but it's exactly what we want when moving up the board and into a more high-end result like that. 
Uh, is there anybody else that we did not mention that you considered? Um, I do have a couple names I want to run by you, but uh, hit me up first if you have anybody. No, that's all for me. Abe answer was as low as I was going there. So here are the names that I at least found interesting uh, that I would like to hear your thoughts on. The first would be Joel Dahman, minus 105 as a top 40. The second would be Billy Horschel as a top 10 at plus 410. And then the other group, it was going to be Keegan Bradley thrown into that. You might have talked me into Bradley. So the other two were Russell Knox, who we have never had any luck with Russell Knox. No, auto fade. Probably so, unfortunately. And then Emiliano Grio would be the other. I like Rio a ton. He seems to check every box for me here as well. And the guy that can kind of get hot with the putter too. He's just a little, I, I don't know why I didn't punch a ticket there. Uh, Billy Ho top 10. I'll certainly sign off on that as much as I dislike him personally. I, I just like, I, I love this week. So you said plus 410 for Billy Horschel. Yes. I love that number. And then who was the other two? Uh, Joel, uh, Joel Diamond. I don't yeah. love the minus 105 number. I mean, that was the drawback of why I didn't end up doing it. I think the price is intriguing. Uh, but I didn't want to have multiple spots where I was laying juice on my card. I think that's a bit of a, a bit of an overstep. Yeah, I'm out on him. He just didn't grade two. He's like middle of the packer for me. So there's no value. I have him like plus 110 to finish top 40. So minus 105 is a little iffy for me. But my mom was always down on him. So I don't know why. Yeah, mine is kind of in that same general area also where there just wasn't enough value to really realize what I was looking for there. And the way I'm most likely going to play Billy is in the head-to-head market, um, whether that be against Sheamus or somebody else. I do think that 410 is a really good number. Horschel is, maybe Horschel and Siwoo. I mean, those are probably my two favorite plays on the board this week. But let's wrap this up in the outright market. I do want to preface it by saying that Nick and I are always going to be extremely cautious when it comes to these wagers. It's a hard market to beat long-term. I have run so far above EV over the past four years that I know it has to regress back to the means at some point. But let's handle this in the same fashion that we did last week. We got a Cameron Smith discussion out of it that way. Uh, didn't bet him. Maybe there's going to be a conversation we can have this week that will help someone with their process. Uh, who did you consider and where did you ultimately land? I have four outrights as we speak today. I have Abe Answer, 32 to 1 on FanDuel. Sunjay M, 17 to 1. Don't love that price as much, but I had him at at proper for me at 12 to one. And then Keegan Bradley, my bomb of the week outright ticket at 90 to one on DraftKings, And then Billy Horschel, 46 to one on FanDuel. Yeah. I, I like everything that you mentioned there. Question for you before I get to my card. If I say Webb Simpson in this section, what are the odds you pull your mic out and quit the show? <laughs> I'll, I'll just mute. I'll let you go. Go ahead. If it's a good play, it's a good play. You do your thing. It's, it's but you're not burning Web- money, though. No, <laughs> I, I think at this point, I've realized that also. It's not Webb Simpson. I'm going to instead, I was hoping to get a little bit more of a reaction out of this, but I'm going to start with your boy, Billy Horschel. I got him at 50 to 1. I have seen him as high as 51 to 1 if you shop around. I don't have an issue with the 46 to 1 that is on FanDuel. All of those numbers are fine, but I think Horschel's overpriced this week for the potential he brings to the table. Eight of the last 10 winners have gotten their season started at Wildlife before winning at the Sony. I'm not a big trends person, but in this particular case, I do think it helps that he got four days under his belt to go along with grading as one of the better values in the field. I love Siwoo Kim at 60 to one. That is still available at DraftKings. I've seen that number dropping at a lot of credible offshore books, and it's easy to understand why from a value standpoint. Kim is one of the 10 most likely winners for me this week, and he grades inside the top 20 in both Bermuda putting and strokes gained on easy to short courses. We know that when he gets himself into contention that he can win. I'm going to bet this for a little more than usual. 
I think 40 to one is likely the fair price. So I will take it for 0.20 units to win 12 instead of 0.20 to win eight if we did receive it where I had proper at 40 to one. I didn't want to make the same mistake I made last week with Cameron Smith with Corey Connors. So I grabbed them as soon as pricing came out at 31 to one. There is a 26 to one on FanDuel still. That is getting very close to where I deem to be proper. I think if you have room on your card that it makes sense with him being the number one ball striker in this field. He's also gained nearly double as many strokes on these greens that than any other property in the world. If he can put those two together, he can win the event. And then the last one is a little bit more of a dart throw at 80 to one. And it's Chris Kirk. That's an, at an offshore book. It's 70 to one on DraftKings. That's going to put me at roughly 0.72 units of exposure. It leaves me with a chance to enter back into the market during the event. I think all of those things are a massive plus. And just to run through my board of guys I considered, which is going to be two guys that Nick mentioned, heavily considered answer. Uh, I didn't like what I saw with him last week. I don't think that was the best course fit for him. Only concern is that his course history here has been questionable. And then Keegan Bradley at 90 to one. I did see a 110 at an offshore book. That's very enticing, but that's about it for me. I will certainly be looking at where some of the big names land after day one on the board, but thoughts about everything I just mentioned there before we wrap up the show this week. No, I'm pumped for the, the Cebu ticket. That was a guy I was completely overlooking. So I think you have me sold on that at 60 to one, especially when offshore is moving. That's something I value a ton. So yeah, Siwu, I am in Keegan. I, uh, I like that you considered it. But yeah, other than that, let's let's ride. The only other thing I wanted to mention is that you will be able to hear us every week on Action Network's Links and Locks podcast. I want to give a big shout out to Jason Sobel and everyone at that company for bringing us onto the team to help them out with the placement markets. Nick and I are shooting for a big year in 2022, and we really appreciate the support we have received from the community in general. Yeah, I'm very excited for the Action Network project and very excited for the future of better golf. And thank you to all of you. We did hit a thousand followers this week, so... Shout out to the show. We're about just less than a year old. So 1,000 followers that quickly. We greatly appreciate y'all and greatly appreciate everybody out there that does golf content because we learn from everybody. So so it's a lot of fun and something that I really look forward to continuing doing. Same here. As always, Nick, I appreciate you bringing on me with you to do this project. It's been a great experience doing this uh, and getting to know you better over the last year with it. But that will do it this week on the Better Golf Pod. Uh, it's a pleasure as always, man. Let everyone know where they can find you. At Sticks Picks, S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. And you can follow me on Twitter at Tee Sports. As Nick said, you can follow him at Stick Picks. And you can find the two of us together at Better Golf Pod. Let's keep the momentum rolling at the Sony Open. And we will see you guys back here a week from now.